0: Good afternoon, we're here from Arctic Free Church of Scotland continuing. We are a, a local Glasgow congregation. We meet at two Thornwood Terrace, Upton Barton Road. When you come to the police station, the police station go up the hill that's there, and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School. And our building is next door at the crossroads. And we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along that you might hear something more of the Christian gospel. We're very glad to be able to be out this afternoon. We thank the Lord God Almighty for this wonderful weather. We acknowledge that He is the one who controls all elements And nothing is beyond His control. And we are grateful indeed for this ideal weather, nice, calm, day, dry, whereby we might gather and seek to proclaim to you something of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we're glad to be out today, this afternoon, on our weekly open air outreach. This time, you find us on Buchanan Street in Glasgow City Centre. And indeed, it is a a pleasure and a privilege to be here. We have one or two people out who are handing out gospel tracts. You may be busy. You may not have much time to stop. But please take a gospel tract, put it in your pocket or your bag, and maybe read it later on. It contains a very clear, simple gospel message. And it also has our contact details that you might know that we are not fly-by-night cowboys. We are a bona fide Christian congregation, and we minister in the Partick area, and we are a Scottish registered charity. So please take a track. You'll find our details there if you want to make contact with us. And if you're one who does not have a copy of the Scriptures, please make yourself known if you want to have a copy, and we will endeavor to furnish you with your own personal copy of the Scriptures. Now, why do we come out, friends? Why do we come out? Why do we leave our pulpits and our churches behind? Well, we come out, friends because basically, well, there are two reasons. Obviously, we have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ as part of His visible church to go out and to preach the gospel. That commission was given to the, the early church, and they fulfilled that commission as best as they could. And indeed, they did a remarkable job in the first century for Christianity was spread all around the world because of the efforts of the early Christian church. But obviously, they could never go to the whole world, and this message indeed must go to the whole world because this message is relevant to every single one of us without exception. And therefore, we come out for one reason we come out because we're part of the Christian church. And we have this message and we have this commission by the Lord Jesus Christ to go out and to bring this message home to everyone. But there is another reason why we come out. We come out from a pragmatic reason. We come out because we have to admit, and you will acknowledge it, that many people do not go to a Christian place of worship these days. Our churches are empty. Our churches are being closed. Our churches are being sold. And the buildings are being used for another purpose. And therefore, people are not reading God's Word and they're not heeding God's Word. And therefore, they are ignorant of the wonderful and the glorious message that is found in God's Word. And remember, friends, God's Word is God's message. It's a message that has come down from heaven. It is God who is speaking in His Word. The message that we have ultimately does not belong to ourselves. It's a message that has been entrusted to the church. And it's our duty and a marvelous privilege to be able to come out and to tell people the good news from heaven. This is God's good news. And friends, you will agree with us this afternoon. Do we not need to hear some good news? Well, there's no news like this. And we want to read one or two verses from First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 15. That tells us, Briefly and concisely, what this Christian message is. Paul, in this chapter, is telling us about the resurrection. And the resurrection is the most cardinal truth that's to be found in Christianity. He begins Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. The Apostle Paul was the one who went to Corinth. Now Corinth was a notable place. It was a major city. And in this major cosmopolitan city that was full of commerce and travelers and traders, There was a lot of things going on that that were contrary to the Word of God. It was a very godless society. They were up to their necks in idolatry and immorality of all kinds. Much like we have today in the city of Glasgow and in Scotland and indeed throughout the United Kingdom and indeed in all our major Western nations and cities, In other words, the Apostle Paul was commissioned to go and to preach the gospel into Corinth to the people of Corinth who were up to their necks in sin. And we would say, looking at it, well, there's no point in going there. They're beyond redemption, we might say. They'll never listen to the gospel. Well, the Apostle Paul initially single-handed went there and preached the gospel, and he planted a gospel church. Yes, in that place that was full of sexual immorality and idolatry, he planted a gospel church. And Christians were there. And he was writing to them, reminding them of the gospel. And what was the gospel he was reminding them of? He was reminding them of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We preach Christ, and Him crucified. That was His gospel. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory, what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died, for our sins, according to the scriptures. You know, friends, we're coming to that point in the year when everybody gets all excited about Christmas. Now, we as a congregation don't make anything off Christmas, but it is a time in the year when people think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, about his birth. Well, I ask you this afternoon, why did Jesus Christ come to this world? Why did the Son of God, take upon Himself a human nature, become just like us, live in this world, live a perfect life, and then, ultimately, at the end of that perfect life, He was crucified. Why did He come then to this world? What was the purpose in it? Was His purpose to reveal God to us? Well, no. Because we knew enough about God In the Old Testament Scriptures, God was revealed. Did he come to set us an example? No. By setting an example to us, he could never save us. Did he come to teach us? Well, he did teach us, but all his teaching would never save us. Why then did the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God, That one who created heaven and earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Why did he come to this world? Well, I'll tell you friends. He came in order that he might suffer and that he might die. And he died for a purpose. He was without sin. Now that itself is remarkable, is it not? Every one of us by nature are sinners. We might not like to admit it, But the Bible makes it clear to us. It does not flatter us. What does it say? For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Every single one of us. It doesn't matter what we might think of ourselves. As far as God is concerned, there is no difference. None whatsoever. We might be rich. We might be well educated. We might be morally upright citizens. It might be the case that the law of the land has nothing to say to us. Because we are moral citizens. And we give to charity. And maybe even we're religious individuals. What does the Bible say? That's what matters. What does God say in his word? That's what matters. God says, for there is no difference. For all have sinned. And comes short of the glory of God. All but one. Who's that one? Well, I'll tell you who that one was. That one is the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone lived a perfect life, he never sinned in thought, or in word, or in deed. What about your thoughts this afternoon? What are you thinking about? What about your words? How do they stand up against God's holy law? How many people blaspheme the name of the Lord their God in everyday conversation and think nothing about it? Thou shalt not take the name of Of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Who taketh his name in vain. How many people today. uh, Even as they pass by here. Take the Lord's name in vain. What does the Bible say? What does the third commandment say? What does God say to us in his word? Thou shalt not take the name. Of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. You know, no one worries about these things nowadays. You hear it in nurseries. You hear it in the playground. You hear it on the television and the social media. You hear it all the time. And no one says a word. And somehow they think it doesn't matter. Well, it matters to God. God's name is holy. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ was the one whose speech was absolutely perfect every day of his life. He never said anything that he had to apologize for. Do we not find that remarkable? Let's examine our own lives and our own behavior. How often do you have to apologize for what you've said? Well, is it not every day that we have to say sorry to our loved ones, to our wife, or our husband, or our children, how we've reacted wrongly and said something out of turn? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ never had to retract a single word. His thoughts were perfect. His words were perfect. And therefore, all his actions were perfect. He lived a perfect life. Absolutely perfect. And that's important. Because he could never save anyone if he had not lived a perfect life. If he had not obeyed the law of God, he could never save anyone. But we are told in the, in the verse that I have just read to you, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that that, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He died for our sins. He died as our substitute. He died in our room and in our place. Now, is that not good news? Is that not good news for the sinners of Glasgow this afternoon? Of course it is. Is it not marvelous that someone has stood in a room and place and taken the punishment that was justly due to you? He did it. Let's try and put this in kind of modern terms that we might understand. You go to a shop. You want to buy something. It costs, let's just say, it costs twenty five pounds You haven't got the money. You cannot buy it. You're disappointed. The shopkeeper won't give it to you. He wants his money. But someone comes along. And someone says, well, I will pay for it. I will give the £125. And there you go. I've paid for it. And now you can have what you want. Because someone else has paid for it in your room and in your place. Well done, sir. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. There are many young people passing by this afternoon, and it's good to see them. Indeed, there comes a point in your life when everyone's young, but there are young people here. Is that not so? What does the Bible say to young people? You know, the Bible has something to say to all of us, but it says to the young, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. The days of thy youth, you might think the days of youth are going to go on forever and ever. Well, they won't. They won't. Your youthful days will pass. Then you'll come to old age. And then, you'll follow the pattern of all. You'll pass into eternity. And the exhortation that Solomon gives in the Bible to the young is quite clear. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. The days of your vigour. The days when you have your life before you. And what he's basically saying to you the day, young people, is, why do you not embrace Christ now? Why do you not take up the cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ now in the days of thy youth? Why do you not give the best part of your life to the Savior? Why do you not serve Him now? Because there are people, friends, who think that they'll have their full of life. They'll have their good days. They'll enjoy their youthful days and all that comes with it. And they think to themselves, well, when I'll get a bit older, then maybe I'll become religious think to themselves but it never happens that way we're not guaranteed a day is that not so? do we not know people who have passed on before us younger than us who have passed on before us remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth that's what the bible says to us, that's Solomon's exhortation, that's what he wrote because he knew from experience what it was And friends, there's nothing like serving the Lord Jesus Christ in your youth. There's nothing like taking up the cross and following Him now and giving the best part of your life to Him now. Why should we give the dregs of our life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Why? When we get old? The Lord will have us now. Oh, that's interesting now, isn't it? Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Here we are, friends, in Buchanan Street, in Glasgow City Centre. So many people wandering around, going from one place to another place. A constant stream going from right to left and left to right. Here we are, friends. What's happening to us? There's a tract that people are handing out to you this afternoon. And it's simply saying, where are you going? It is a very good question to ask ourselves. It's good to take account of our lives. It's good to sit down soberly and to consider things. Where are you going? I'm not talking about what, where are you going today. I'm not talking about what shop you're going to or what train you want to catch or what bus you want to catch or whatever. But... I want to ask you this very solemn question. Where are you going when all of this life is over? Oh, we don't like to think about that, but we must. We must think about these things. Why must we think about them? We must think about them, friends, because we're all mortal. We're all going to go the way of all the earth one day. Now, where will you go when life is over? When life as you know it is over, where will you go? Well, the Bible tells us we will all go to one of two places. The Christian, that one who believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who has Him as Lord and Savior, that person will go to be with Christ in that place that's called heaven or indeed paradise as it's called in the Bible also Jesus says to his disciples not long before he was crucified let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I am, there ye may be also. What a wonderful comfort to his disciples. They were going to be separated for a time, but Jesus was going to prepare a place for them. And ultimately, when their lives were over, they will be gathered to be with Jesus Christ forever and forever in that place called heaven or paradise. But not everyone goes to heaven, friends. Oh, we don't like to think upon this. But that's true. And that's why we come out this afternoon to tell you that you need to be saved. Because if we're not saved, we'll go to that terrible place. No, we're not in that terrible place. I can assure you, we are not. This is not hell. Hell is a terrible place. And friends, if we don't have Christ as Lord and Savior, if our sins are not forgiven, if we're not reconciled to God, if we've not laid hold upon the Savior, and we die in our sins, what end awaits us to be in hell forever. And forever. Well, we want to tell you of the better way. What is the better way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but but by me. He is telling us of another way. That way is to be found in Jesus Christ alone. No one else can save. No one else came from heaven. No one else suffered and died in a room and place. No one else can forgive our sins. No one else can take us to glory. You must go to Him. You must have Him. How can I possibly go to Him? You must call upon Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does it mean to call upon the Lord? It just simply means that you are to repent and believe the gospel. You are to recognize that He is the God-appointed Savior. He is the Son of God. And He's the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, it's been a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. I'm going to take a short break and let another brother speak. But may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you uh, this afternoon.
1: Well, I'll- People of Glasgow, we come as believers in Jesus Christ, the only Redeemer of man, the only Savior, the only One who can save us from our sin, who is true God and true man, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come with this message that you may know Him who is the truth the way, and the life. And we wish as believers in Jesus Christ to present the law of Almighty God before you. That you would see that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that includes you, and that includes me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're going to read from God's holy and infallible Word, His truth without error. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the Law and the Prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace." through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of Him which believeth In Jesus. Down to verse 26. The Word of God reveals and shows us the law and the will of God, that which is pleasing before Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the One who is holy, 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 the Lord, Giver of life. In Him, we depend upon for all things. For every breath in our lungs, for every heartbeat in our chest, we depend on this God. And this God has revealed both in the the Word of God and also in creation, His glory, His power, His splendor, His radiance, His truth. And the law of God shows us that we fall short. The law of God reveals. What does the law of God say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second great commandment is this. To love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as we look at the first heart of that law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, it's also summarized in the first four commandments. We fall short. It demands perfect personal obedience and love toward God. And there is only one person who has kept the law of God perfectly. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before Me. The second commandment is against creating idols. Not just statues, but also in our minds to worship and bow down before. The third commandment is using the Lord's name in vain not just as a curse word, but also using His name as an uncommon thing. His name is holy. And the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. We celebrate the Sabbath day today on the first day of the week, otherwise known as Sunday. Why the first day of the week? Because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. So it is the Christian Sabbath. We find rest and refreshment in Him on that day of the week. But friends, as we look at the law of God, we see the truth in what Paul said to the Romans. For all have sinned. And falls short of the glory of God. Heaven is heaven because it is without sin. Heaven is heaven is because it is pure, holy, where we find the blessed presence of Almighty God. And it is wonderful because of God. Why would it leave any of us in? We are sinners. We have broken the law of God. We have sinned against God in thought, in word, and in deed. But the difference is with Jesus Christ, He kept the law perfectly. Every moment of His life, He defeated the devil, placed him under His feet at the cross, And all those who serve their own works are of their father, the devil. That is the shocking words that Jesus said to the religious leaders in John chapter 8. They thought they were good people, but Jesus said to them, you're of your father, the devil. Friends, we live in a world of suffering. We live in a world of difficulty and challenge and affliction. And why is that? When God made this world, He made all things good. So why do we live in a world with difficulty, with pain and suffering? Because of sin. And that is the reason we live in a world of rebellion against Almighty God. Friends, you need the salvation offered by Jesus Christ. You need this day to trust in Him. You do not know how much longer you will have on this earth. None of us know when we will breathe our last breath. The Scripture says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. How can you know what is right and what is wrong? There's always things that we will get angry with and we think that they are wrong. But based on what standard? Based on your own feelings and standard or based upon the law and standard and righteousness of Almighty God? But our deeds are never enough. Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us that our deeds, our righteousnesses are but filthy rags before God. My best moment upon this earth would send me to hell. My works are not enough, and neither are yours. It says here, for by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in His sight. You see, justification comes only in and through Jesus Christ, His perfect work, His perfect life. He took our punishment so that the curse of the law would be taken away in Him at the cross of Christ. At the cross, He cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? The wrath of God is placed upon Jesus Christ. He bore our punishment so that anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ no longer is their own works standing against them, but the perfect work of Jesus Christ clothes the sinner who looks to Jesus and to Jesus alone. There is only salvation found in one. You will not find justification by the deeds of the law. We will come before a just judge one day, all of us, whether we claim to be atheists, agnostics, whatever our background, we will stand before God. And if we stand before God in our own works, we will not enter into heaven but will face the just and holy anger of Almighty God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. How can you know what is sin? How can you know what is pleasing before God? Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love Me, keep My commandments. None of us, have kept the law perfectly. But the love of God is seen in the commandments of God, that perfect law of liberty. But how can we? How can we have hope? In verse number 21 of Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets the law and the prophets pointing toward the Old Testament from Genesis to Revelation. The Holy Bible revealed the will and the law of God. The way to know Jesus Christ. You see, by our own deeds, we have no hope. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the promised Redeemer, The seed of the woman promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The one, that lamb that would come that taketh away the sin of the world. That innocent, spotless lamb without blemish who took all the sin of all those given to him by his Father in heaven. And this is told to us in John chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays before His Father. Uh-huh. Think about this, friends. He came, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to suffer and die. He came into this sin-cursed world in which we rebelled in. And He came in and assumed human flesh. And in that, He took the seed of His people, of Abraham. And how can we be part of His people by faith in Him and by faith alone? How can we be washed clean from our sin? How can we be clean before God by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith in Him and Him alone? But in turning to Him, we must turn our back in our sin. We cannot serve two masters. Either we will cling to the one and reject the other. To turn to Jesus Christ is not just adding another idol to your life. It is forsaking sin, the flesh, and the devil. But rejecting Jesus Christ, you may think, well, I serve myself. I do whatever I want. I'm quite pleased doing that. You are a slave of your sin. You serve the devil and his law, which is to do whatever you please. There is a law. It is a good, holy, and righteous law revealed in the Scriptures. Even the righteousness of God, verse 22 states, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. See, the righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus kept the righteousness of God. He fulfilled the law. He came. So that when He sees the believer who has trusted in Jesus Christ, He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see a lawbreaker. He doesn't see someone who has broken covenant with God. He sees someone holy and righteous in and through Jesus Christ and in and through Him alone. Friends, there are two ways set before you. The wide road that leadeth unto destruction. It is a wide road. There's many different paths. It promises many things. The world, the flesh, and the devil promise many things. But it ends up in exactly the same place. Hell and destruction. And you will be here this evening thinking, I do not want to hear that because you wish to follow sin and unrighteousness. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is wonderful news, friend. The work of Jesus Christ is done. He said on the cross, it is finished. Paid in full. And to all those who will look to Jesus Christ looking away from their sin, it is finished. The righteous, the righteousness of God has been kept in Jesus Christ. And when we attempt, when we think our religious deeds, when we think our works are enough, we lie against our conscience. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But justification is freely by God's grace. See, we don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But it's a grace. It's by grace. It is a gift of God. Lest any man should boast. None of us have any grounds to boast in. But in through the work and the redemption and the blood of Jesus Christ. We boast in something outside of ourselves. We cannot boast in ourselves for our righteousnesses are but filthy rags before Almighty God. Do not trust your own works, dear friend, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We can't add anything to this. Only the sin that made the death of Jesus Christ necessary. His death was necessary to set us free from our sins. You see, sin and Satan, the flesh, are cruel taskmasters. It is a cruel bondage to serve the flesh, but being justified And justification by Jesus Christ is to be declared righteous. It is the opposite of condemnation. Condemnation is a a declaration based upon guilt. The judge saying, condemned. He has examined the evidence of your life and declaring you condemned. But justification is different based upon the work, not of you, but of Jesus Christ, whom you look to by faith. Justification is to be declared righteous. To be declared just. As Martin Luther discovered hundreds of years ago, the just shall live by faith. In his conscience, he was tormented. He knew he could not keep God's standard, His righteous and holy law, But when Luther looked away from his own works and ceased to do that, he looked to Jesus Christ. He saw that the just shall live by faith. And that just, holy character comes from another. It's an alien righteousness. A righteousness that does not come from us. It comes from Jesus Christ and from Him and Him alone. Isn't that wonderful, friends? Think about it. If it had anything to do with us, we would all be without hope. And we know this to be true. We know this to be true from creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the creation showeth forth His handiwork. All around you, we see the evidence of God's handiwork. The mountains, the streams the clouds, the sun, the moon, and the stars. We know that there's a Creator. We know that He is good. We know that He is just. And it is Him we will stand before. The Creator and the Sustainer of all life, we will all stand before. We must be declared righteous in Jesus Christ to have any hope. It says in the Scriptures, in God's holy and infallible Word to declare, I say, verse 26, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him that believeth in Jesus. Justification by faith alone, apart from the works of the law of God, because the works of our flesh will only condemn us. Whether we're religious or not, we will all stand before God. Either we will be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, washed by the blood of the Lamb, made clean by Jesus Christ, or we will stand before God naked, naked in our own works, naked in our own sin naked in our own deeds, naked to face the wrath of God for all eternity. And we pray that that would not be you today, this, this day, dear friends. None of you know how much longer you have to live on this earth. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. All men will die. We will all die and stand before God. Friends, will you not take hold of Jesus Christ? Take hold of His righteousness by faith and by faith alone. Rejecting any hope in your own works, in your own attempts to save yourself. Because in the presence of Jesus Christ, There is joy. You see, friends, we've been created in the image of God and we will not find rest until we find rest in Him. And friends, we pray that you would by faith in Jesus Christ find rest in Him, find redemption in Him, find joy in Him and that you would flee from the wrath to come. Flee from all that our sin deserves and find forgiveness. Find truth. Find that narrow way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Trust not the works of the flesh, the works of the devil. And we pray that you would come to know Him. And if you have questions, please feel free to come and ask us. This is your eternal soul we speak of here this day. You will spend an eternity either in heaven or in hell. But this life is a vapor which appeareth for a little time and and then vanishes away. This life is so short. Will you not think upon this most important question Where will you spend eternity? With God in the presence of Christ, knowing Him? Or will you spend it facing the justice of God? And it will not be paid for all eternity. Friends, Jesus has taken the punishment of all those who would trust in Him and in Him alone. And it is freely available to all who will look to Him this day. Amen.
0: Good afternoon, We're glad you're able to join with us at our weekly open-air outreach, and this week we're coming from Buchanan Street in Glasgow City Centre. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing, and we are a local Glasgow congregation, And this is what we seek to do uh, once a week, weather permitting, and indeed we're grateful this afternoon that the weather is just ideal for what we seek to do. It's calm, it's not windy, and uh, it's an ideal opportunity to be out with the everlasting gospel. One or two things that we notice when we're out with the gospel, it's remarkable the amount of people that have headphones and well it would seem as if they're engrossed in their music or a podcast or something like that and maybe with their headphones in or their ear pods I think maybe that's what they're called maybe they can't hear and another thing that notices that we notice is people are rushing around a lot going from one place to another place and they've got really no time to, to stop even to take a truck, they're running, rushing maybe going to catch a bus or catch a train and that's the way life can be, is that not so? it can be very busy from the moment that you get up till the moment when you retire very, very busy. No real time to think. You do. You go about whatever your duties are, and you, you rush from this to that to to the next thing, and your whole day seems to be taken up rushing, rushing, rushing. Well, friends, it's good to ponder, to think, and we would counsel you to consider the claims. Of the Bible. Life is very short. Is that not so? The Bible reminds us that we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And in Psalm 90, we are reminded to teach us to number our days. That's the prayer of the man of God, Moses. And his prayer was that the Lord would teach him and the Israelites to number their days. Because we're so inclined to think that we'll live forever. And we number our days by years. But the Bible would urge us to number our days by days. And that would remind us that life is very, very short. And... uh, Because life is short, we are to make every opportunity to see that we are saved. This is the essential message of the Christian life. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. How many people think, well, I'm going to do this tonight and tomorrow I'm going to do this or that and I'm going to travel there and maybe attend a sporting event or some kind of concert or entertainment. And then maybe they're going to do something on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. They've got something marked out for that day. And then, well, they'll begin to work on Monday on the first working day of the week. And they have their program and their diary all set out. What does the Bible say? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And therefore this counsel is to, for us that we would get right with God while we have opportunity time is passing on here we are in the middle of november the year is almost done it's flying by is it is that not so you can remember when it was january and it was dark and it was cold and then what do you know you're into the spring and then the summer and now we're into the late autumn, beginning the winter time. Life goes on and goes on very, very quickly. And that's why the psalmist will say, Teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And that's why we are to recognize that today is the day of salvation, today is the day when we are to get right with God we only have today that's why paul said to the to the corinthians behold now is the accepted time behold now is the day of salvation and this today friday what is it what date is it friday the 17th of november 2023 may well be regarded as a day of salvation. Why? Because in some real way, the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ have been impressed upon you. You have been reminded that we are all sinners. And because we're sinners, we're guilty in the sight of God. We might live a perfect life from a human perspective. And we don't need to worry about the policeman coming to the door or about attending a court. We have no problem. The law of the land is not against us. It has nothing to say to us. But we'll not be judged by the law of this land or any other law. The day will come, friends, when all of us will be judged by that most holy and inflexible law of all. What is that law? That law is the Ten Commandments. And as we look at the Ten Commandments, even a brief look at them, we have to recognize that we have broken every commandment. What is the first commandment? The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's what the Lord said to the people of Israel after He brought them out of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now I wonder, do you have another God? Are you worshipping another God? Are you worshipping and serving and delighting and loving the one true and the living God? The one who made heaven and earth, the sun, the moon and the stars? Is that the God you worship? Well, I would suggest it's not. I would suggest you are worshipping another god or maybe other gods. Let's examine yourself then. What about today for instance? Let's just examine today. What did you do when you got up in the morning? You had your breakfast. Put on your clothes. Had your breakfast. Maybe a shower. Then off to work. Did you ever consider God? Did you ever consider God in your daily routine? Did you get up in the morning and did you thank him for health, for life, for strength, for breath? Did you thank him for sleep? Did you thank him for your food and clothing and shelter? Did you thank him for your husband or your wife or your partner or your children or your parents or your friends? Did you thank him for your your job? Did you thank him for the money that you have? Did you thank Him for the where you live? Do you thank Him for all of these things? Probably not. You probably never considered Him at all. You may be one of these people who think that you're a self-made man or woman. Well friends, we have to realize that we are creatures. We have been created. In Him we live and move and have our being. And we depend upon Him for the very air that we breathe and the water that we drink. We depend upon him for our food and for every temporal gift. And we are to acknowledge that and we are to give him thanks. And therefore, I would suggest to you that you do not worship the one true and the living God. You never think about him. You live as practical atheists. Is that not so? You never give him a care or a thought or a concern at all. You live without Him. Therefore, the law of God would say you have broken the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The likelihood is, friends, that your God is yourself. This is what occupies your mind. This is what fills your thoughts. It is yourself. And you're out to gratify yourself. When in actual fact, you should be loving the Lord your God. That's what Jesus said. That's how Jesus said to sum up the Ten Commandments, to keep them, to sum them up. What? How do we do it? You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to obey the law of God. To love God and to love your neighbor. Can you say you have done that? Can I say I have done that? I cannot. I hold my hands up before you. I cannot say I have done that. But then friends, what am I saying? I am saying I have one who has fulfilled the law of God on my behalf. I have one who has Fulfilled the law of God, who does love the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength, and who did love his neighbor as himself. Who is that person? That person is Jesus Christ. And that's the person we draw your attention to this afternoon. We are not drawing your attention to ourselves or indeed our congregation or our denomination. We only mention these things in order that you might know that we are bona fide Christians and that we are a registered Scottish charity. But we are not drawing your attention to ourselves. Instead, we are pointing to another person. Who is that person? That person is Jesus Christ the Lord the one who came from heaven, the Son of God, who came and became like us, who took a human nature, a true body, and a reasonable soul, and lived in this world. And He lived a perfect life, absolutely perfect, like none other before Him. And He did this in order, therefore, at the end of His life, he would be able to offer up his life as a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice that would satisfy the just demands of God's holy and inflexible law. Because the law says, you break the law and you die. And Jesus Christ died because he stood in the room and place of sinners who had broken the law of God. Therefore, friends, in order to be reconciled to God, you must have Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must call upon the Savior. He Himself did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There he is. He is making it crystal clear that no one will be saved unless they come through him. There is no other Savior, none whatsoever. It doesn't matter the religion, it does not matter the religion. None can be saved unless they go to the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. There we are reminded in these verses from 1 Timothy. That there is one God. There is not a multitude of gods. There is only one God. There is only one supreme being. And that one is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus, he is the mediator. What does that mean? He is the go-between. He is the one who bridges the gap between a holy God and sinful mankind. He is the only mediator. He is the only one that can take us to heaven. Why is that so? Well, it is because He is the only one who has come from heaven. He is the only one that has gone to the cross, that has paid the price of mankind's sin on the cross. He's the only one who has been punished in the room and in the place of sinners. No one else has done this no other religious leader, it doesn't matter their name, doesn't matter where they come from, none of them can claim this, that Jesus Christ alone, the Son of God, God in the flesh, has come down from heaven in order that He might seek and save that which was lost. And that's why the apostles, when they got that commission from the Lord Jesus, to go into all the world, and to preach the gospel, they went around telling everyone, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. No other name, no other way, no other salvation, no other hope, no other person, no other gospel. It's only in Christ. How shall we escape? If we... Neglect so great salvation. How shall we escape? How will you escape? There is no escape. But the one that's been provided for us by the God Almighty Himself. And again, this is something that makes Christianity unique. One of many. That Christianity teaches us that God has done something in Christ God has taken the initiative God has taken the initiative and dealt with our greatest problem what is our greatest problem today well you might cite many things that you would regard as mankind's greatest problem you might think about the the war in the Ukraine you might think about the war in the Middle East You might think about the cost of living crisis. You might think of a number of things. And you might say they are great problems facing mankind. Well, they are problems. There's no doubt. No one's going to deny it. But there is a problem above all of these problems. And indeed, these problems that I've already cited stem from our greatest problem. What is our greatest problem? Our greatest problem is our own personal sin. The Bible says, There is none righteous, no, not one, none. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all, like sheep, we've all gone astray. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that we don't have the relationship with God that we should have. And why do we not have this relationship? It is because of your sin. God is a holy God. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity that describes the God of the Bible it doesn't describe the God of your imagination because the God of your imagination is a tolerant God a God who winks at sin a God who is not righteous a God who is not holy but the God of the Bible is holy thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look Upon iniquity that's the God of the Bible and that's the God that made you and formed you and that's the God with whom you must have dealings with that's the God you will meet one day in the Lord Jesus Christ the Bible tells for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And Paul goes on to say, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's why he went around the known world, traveling, preaching, wherever he went, forming churches, telling people about the good news of Christ and how they must have their sins forgiven and be reconciled to God before they pass into eternity. Because if you die in your sins, there is no hope. There's no repentance when you pass on. It doesn't matter what kind of funeral service you might have. It doesn't matter what the clergyman might say about you. If you die in your sins, there is no hope. And that's why we come out, friends, this afternoon, to draw your attention to this, that you might embrace and that you might receive the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is willing to save, and He can save to the uttermost. Will He save me, sir, you say, Will he save me, Madam? Yes! What must he do? You must come to Him. You must call upon Him. You must turn your back upon your old life. You must repent and believe the Gospel. That's what you must do. This is what Jesus tells us in His Word. Repent, for the Kingdom of God is at hand. What does it mean to repent? Well, it means to turn our backs upon our old sinful lives. And principally it means to turn and believe and receive Christ as He is offered to us in the Gospel. It is to believe that He is the Son of God. And that He is the only God-appointed Savior of mankind. And therefore, this is what we must do. And this is the day we must do it. For today is the day of salvation. That's what Paul says to the people of Corinth. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And you are to be encouraged. Because Jesus Christ did not come to save the righteous. Why not? Because there are no righteous. In His sight, there are none righteous. There is none righteous, no, not one. And we're only righteous when we're saved in Christ. What does the Bible say? He was delivered for our offenses and raised to life for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you this afternoon, would you like to have peace with God? Would you like to have a a peaceful conscience? Would you like to know that when you pass into eternity, you will pass into the presence of God to be received forever. Would you like that? Well, the only way you can have that, friends, is in and through Jesus Christ. It is to turn your back upon your sinful life, to turn your back from fornication, stealing, lying, gossiping, blaspheming. It is to embrace a new life. It is to follow Christ. It is to take up the cross. What does that mean? Well, it simply means to be identified with Christ. That's what it means. It doesn't mean to walk about with a a great big wooden cross. No. It simply means to be associated with Him and to suffer with Him because that's what happens. He bore the reproach. And the Christians will bear reproach also. The world hated the Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was the only perfect man that ever lived. They hated him. Right, uh, why,
1: not?
0: why, Why sir, why would they hate him? Why, why would they hate the Lord Jesus?
1: Got the Bible?
0: That's a Bible, sir, yes.
1: realizing the Bible and what does anybody else called.
0: What's in the Bible, Sully? More lies in the Bible than any else. No. Who was the first woman on earth? Eve. No, it wasn't it. Oh, Aye, it was. No,
1: it wasn't No, was back through your history and your Bible will tell you. It doesn't. Oh, I, bet. Oh, I bet it was there before her. And she was made equal. And she been in the day she was told to the vanished stop, And brought Eve in. Look your Bibles up, mate. No, that, that's up. not in the Bible,
0: sir. It is in the Bible. Oh, yes, it is. No. Yes, it's mentioned in the Bible. Uh, yes, we'll is. have to disagree then.
1: No, no, you your Old Testament.
0: Ah, uh, well, we read the Old Testament. Oh, yeah, tell you. Eve, we all, we're all come from Adam and Eve. The they were our the first parents. Eve was our first mother. Adam was our first father. Adam was created from the dust. And Eve was created from Adam. And they too were created perfect, but they listened to the evil one. And they sinned. And from that point they became sinners. And they had a sinful nature. And they were estranged and separated from God. And because we've all come from Adam and Eve, we are born in sin. We are shapen in iniquity. And that's why we sin. Because we have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature will soon reveal itself. It will reveal itself in sinful thoughts and in sinful words, and in sinful action. And that's why we have this great problem, because as sinful men and women, we are estranged and separated from a holy God. But the good news, friends, is that Jesus Christ has come down from heaven to restore that relationship, to take away the barrier, that barrier of sin. That's what He did. And that's what happened in Calvary's tree, where He cried out, It is finished. What did He mean by that? He meant that He did everything that was required in order to save His people. Therefore, you are to come and you are to believe upon Him, you are to call upon His glorious name, and you are to be saved. Saved for time, saved for eternity. Why? Because your sins are forgiven and you have the gift of new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to draw our time to a close. It has been good to be with you here this afternoon. We have another engagement, and we're going to press on to that. But we do ask that the Lord would bless His Word to you this afternoon. And God willing, weather permitting, we should see you in a couple of weeks for our weekly open-air outreach on Buchanan Street in Glasgow City Centre.